this month of September, we're sort of revisiting vision. Paul next week is going to be going through the focus that he talked about at the beginning of the year that we're, we're working through and standing on this year. And I want to touch on it a little bit this morning and try and give you some helpful things as we continue to do those things, whereas Paul's going to well, he'll, he'll do what he does, but Paul's going to talk to you a little bit more about that. But just to recap a little bit, we said at the beginning of the year that, that 2000, well, I can't even speak this morning, 2021 was the year to stand. You know, we said for being Jesus-centered, we would stand with Jesus. To be rooted, that we would stand on his promises. To be together, that we would stand together. To be broad, that we would stand out. And to be far-reaching, that we would stand up for others. How's everyone doing? <laughs> Tick? I think it's flipping hard. Does anyone else? Does it actually challenge you to think, am I actually doing these things on a consistent basis and actually working through them? So the question I've got for you this morning is, how do we do this consistently? How do we stand with Jesus consistent, consistently when our wants and desires pull us away from him? How do we stand on his promises when our circumstances don't always match his promises? How do we stand together when relationships are difficult? How do we stand out when sometimes we want to hide or, well, just can't really be bothered actually today? How do we stand up for others when sometimes we're fearful and unsure what to do and what to say? It's hard, isn't it? It's hard. And the only answer that I could think of and that I could find was to follow Jesus. To follow Jesus more closely. If we want to stand, we need to follow him consistently. We need to be where he is, do what he's doing with the people that he's with and to learn what he's teaching. So this morning I want to talk about follow me. And Jesus says follow me 13 times in the Gospels. And I don't know about any of you, if you've got a dog... And if it's anything like mine, following me is not always easy. I've brought our dog Pepper's lead this morning. It's still a little bit wet. If I don't have her on a lead, generally, she doesn't follow me. Not if there's a squirrel. Not if there's another dog. Not if there's something she wants to sniff. If there's something more interesting, generally, she won't follow me unless she's on the lead. And I do this. And pull her right in. And then she's got no choice in the matter. You are coming this way, dog, and that cat has got nothing to do with it. But Jesus doesn't work like that. God hasn't got us on a lead saying, follow me, and pulling us back. It's our choice. It's free will. Sometimes I wish he would put me on a lead to help me through the times when I do want to run off and go here, there, and everywhere. But it doesn't work like that with God. So how can we help ourselves? How can we follow him? It's hard. You know, and when my girls were little, and some of you may relate to this, they wanted to follow me everywhere I went. And I mean everywhere. There was no place in the house, no room that they did not want to come with me, no matter what I was doing in that room. Now the dog does the same, which is lovely. But there was no privacy because two little girls wanted to come everywhere with mummy. And I think sometimes our relationship with Jesus can be like that. We can be so in awe of him that he's so wonderful that we just want to follow him everywhere he goes. And then sometimes we go up a bit. We become adolescents in our Christian faith. And we're like, oh, oh Jesus, can't bother today. 
we get a bit more mature and think, actually, I'm all right. I don't need you anymore. I can stand here on myself. I don't need you to hold my hand when I cross the road. I'm a grown-up in my Christian faith. And then all of a sudden, we become wise and old and realize that we need people. And more importantly, we need Jesus. And we need to walk with him more closely than we've ever walked with him if we want to stand out and stand up for him. So I want to look at first some hang-ups that we have that stop us following Jesus. You may be sitting here this morning and thinking, I don't even know what you're on about. I'm not even a Christian. You may be listening online thinking, someone's told me to watch this or they've shared this link on Facebook and I've clicked on it and I'm just wondering, where am I? (laughs) Whatever reason you are listening to this this morning, whether you're a Christian or not, there are hang-ups to why we don't or why we struggle to follow Jesus. And I just think it's really important to look at those first before we look at the ways that can help us to follow Jesus. Is that okay? So one of the first things I think that stops us following Jesus is disagreements and beliefs. Anyone got any beliefs about things? I've got beliefs about what I should do with my beans on toast. Do you know what I mean? I've got beliefs about how I should wear certain items of clothing and other people don't necessarily agree with me. But we can still share beans on toast together. Yet all of a sudden, when we come into church, our beliefs and our disagreements seem to get in the way. I want to look at the disciples. You know, the disciples consisted of tax collectors, of Pharisees, of zealots, of women, of Samaritans. You know, if you look at these these different people in a historical context, none of these people should like each other or should be anywhere near each other. They don't get on, they don't believe the same thing, and they probably don't like one another. And yet, for some reason, they're unified around Jesus. So when you find yourself in church disagreeing with something, or thinking, well, I don't believe that, or I don't like that, or I don't actually like that person at all, then we can unify around Jesus. So when your disagreements and your beliefs get in the way of you following Jesus and going to church, suck it up and unify around Jesus. The Bible speaks of unity. Why would the Bible speak of unity? Acts is full of unity. The letters that are written are full of unity, talking about unity, why unity is important, why we should stick together. Why do you think it is? Because they weren't getting on. Because they were falling out, because they didn't get along, because they needed to unify around Jesus. But we also see in the Bible, in Acts, what happened when they did unify Jesus. There were miracles, there were breakthrough, there were thousands of people who came to Christ. So amazing things happen when we unify around Jesus. And disagreement and belief can get in the way of us following Jesus and of us being together. You know, the early church was far from perfect. Peter and Paul fell out. Paul and Barnabas fell out. You know, in AD 325, they wrote the Nicene Creed. If you're a good Church of England girl like I am, you'll know what that is. But it's basically something you read that says, I believe in God the Father, and I can't actually remember what it says anymore. But it's basically, this is a statement of faith. This is what we believe as a church. And the reason they wrote it was the emperor, Constantine, at the time, was fed up of Christians falling out about what they believed about Jesus. So he pulled them all together in a room and said, right, we're going to write down what we believe. And from that place, we can move forward in unity and follow Jesus. 
So disagreement and beliefs, they sometimes get in the way. But sometimes we need to move those things out the way and unify around Jesus. Ephesians 4, verses 31. What have I written here? What is it, Jack? I haven't got a clue because I've written... Oh, it is that. All right, sorry. (laughs) I've slept since I looked at them. Ephesians 4, 31 to 5, verse 2 in the ESV says this. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. So if you weren't sure with those first things, add malice to it as well. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You know, 2020 and 2021 have just been a bit of a boiling pot, haven't they? They've been a boiling pot for disagreements about everything and anything to do with COVID. They've been a boiling pot for discrimination. They've been a boiling pot for disquiet. They've been a boiling pot for distrust. They've been a boiling pot for dissatisfaction. And they've been a boiling pot for disillusionment. And it's all bubbled up together. And yet, what are we told in Ephesians? Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. We may not all believe the same things when we sit in church. We may not all believe the same things about COVID. We may not all believe the same things about how we live our lives or how we have our beans on toast or whatever it is. But we can unify around Jesus. We can make a choice. The bigger picture is Jesus. The bigger picture is the kindness and forgiveness that he showed us that we therefore show to one another. It's going back to that Ephesian scripture again and again. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. When all of those things come into play that could cause disagreements, that could cause unrest, that could cause disunity, allow Jesus to be the bigger picture in your life and follow him. So what else? What other hang-ups stop us from following Jesus? I think one of the biggest ones is this, that there's no place for me. There's no place for me in church. There's no place for me with Christians You know, and there are many, many reasons why people can think that. There are many reasons why we can sit in church and feel like we don't belong. There are many reasons why we sit outside of church and say, I'm never going in that place because I don't belong. You know, sometimes it's the way we look. You know, I don't look cool enough. I don't look right. I don't, I'm too fat, I'm too thin, I'm too this, I'm too that. You know, there's a scripture in Elisha, about Elisha and two kings where they're telling him off for being bald. <laughs> but you know what? No matter what you think about yourself and what you look like, I want to say to you this morning that there's a place for you in the house of God. You know, 1 Samuel 16 verse 7 says this. It says, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, 
for I have rejected him. This is when Samuel's looking for a new king after Saul, and this is one of David's older brothers. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And I want to say to you this morning, whether you're in the building or you're listening online, that if you think there's no place for you in church because of what you look like, it is simply not true. That God is looking at your heart, not at what you look like. And you are welcome and you are loved. You know, sometimes we can say there's no place for me because of our age. I'm too young. I'm too old. I'm this. I'm that. You know, 1 Timothy 4 says this, Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. But set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. You know, those of you who are sitting in here who, you know, maybe your mum and dad think you're too young to even understand what I'm saying. God has got a plan and purpose for your young life. And you're not too young. Even now, even now you can pray to Jesus. Even now you can see him working in and through your life. No matter what age you are. You know, I've been amazed this year at some of the amazing young teenagers that we've seen do some fantastic things. The Gad Rover twins, 16-year-olds, Olympic medalists in the gymnastics. You know, and I've looked online, and I just want to read a few of these kids to you. Abigail Lupi, who is 10 years old, set up an organisation to combat loneliness in care homes in the States. 10 years old. If you're in here, year sixes are in here today, aren't they? Year sixes, you can do whatever you believe you can. We believe in you and we will stand with you and we will support you. You know, Marley Deus, 11, created a company to collect and distribute diverse children's books to black girls. 11. Wow. You are not too young. But then equally, we have the other side of it where we think, I'm just too old. <laughs> Everyone in the middle's just all right, really, aren't they? You know, when you're in the middle, you fit in your clothes generally, you fit in your shoes, everything's all right. But either side of it is just, it's anyone's guess. You know, two, Titus 2 talks about, you know, older men and older women. There is a place for you in the church. You know, if you feel, I've passed it now, I'm too old, this is a young church, this is not for me, that is a lie. It is not true. We believe in you, we thank God for you, we thank God for your wisdom, and we appreciate you. You know, we see people in the Bible, Noah, Abraham, Job, Joshua and Caleb doing amazing things in their old age. Let me read you some of these. Lord Renton passed his driving test at 94 there's hope for us all, isn't there? <laughs> Kimani Marange, at 84, started school in Kenya because it became free and began to learn to read. And when he got later on in the school, he became the head boy. He was mature enough to do it, wasn't he? And if anyone's thinking about running the potters off next week, here you go. Gladys Burrell. Ran the marathon in 9.53. And I've not written her age down, but she was flipping old. <laughs> I've no idea how old she was. It's not in my notes. But she was old. Someone Google the oldest woman to run a marathon. Nine, nine hours and 53 she ran it in. She must, I think she was in her 80s. But she was old. Don't put yourself down and say, I'm too young and I'm too old and I can't do these things. 
You know, looks get in the way, age gets in the way, gender gets in the way. You know, I can't do this because I'm a woman. We see the horrendous situation in Afghanistan at the minute where young girls are not able to go to school. And I want to ask you, let's pray for that country. Let's pray for breakthrough for those young girls. You know, and for many years we've thought, you know, women can't be in leadership in church. And if this offends you this morning, then remember what I said about disagreements and beliefs a minute ago. (laughs) But there's so many places. Romans 16 verse 7 in the New King James says this. I can't read these names. Greet Andronidus and Junior, my countrymen and fellow prisoners, who are of note among the apostles and who also were in Christ before me. Junior was a woman. When you go back to the original Greek, Junior was a woman. Junior was an apostle. And yet we said for years and years and years, women should not be in leadership in church. And yet the first person that Jesus went to when he was resurrected was a woman. He entrusted, he entrusted the future of the church to a woman. He entrusted the good news of his resurrection to a woman. And men, we love you and we think you're fantastic. But I know there's so many hang-ups about women in leadership. You know, race is a major issue. A major issue. And it's been one of the major issues in the last two years. The disciples, Barnabas was Greek, Priscilla and Aquila were Italian, Simon of Cyrene was from Libya. There wasn't a white Brit among them. Not one. Not a one. And Jesus entrusted the future of the church, to a diverse group of people. So when people say to you, you can't do it because of your race, you are not allowed to, there's no place for you in church because of it, it is a lie. God does not work like that. God does not love like that. And God does not operate like that. There is a place for you. And I'm sorry when you don't find a place in church sometimes. I'm sorry when church is not good with these things historically, but even today. You know, try following Jesus, especially when you think there's no place for you. It's surprising how welcome you are, despite your sin, despite your shame, despite your sexuality, despite your past despite your race, despite your gender, despite your age. God wants to work with you and work through things with you and go on a journey with you, but he does not want at any point for you not to follow him because of any of those things. And seriously, if you're offended, remember that Ephesians scripture. Because my intention this morning is not to offend people. My intention this morning is to teach us how to stand together and love together and work together the way Jesus did with the early church. So we've looked at some of the hang-ups that stop us following Jesus, disagreements and beliefs, that there's no place for me, but also attachment. Matthew 19, 16 to 22 in the message. Another day a man stopped Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Jesus said, why do you question me about what's good? God is the only one who is good. If you want to enter the life of God, just do what he tells you. 
the man asked, what in particular? Jesus said, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, honour your father and mother and love your neighbour as you do yourself. The young man said, I've done all that, what's left? If you want to give it all you've got, Jesus replied, go sell your possessions, give everything to the poor, all your wealth will then be in heaven, then come follow me. That was the last thing the young man expected to hear. And so crestfallen, he walked away. He was holding on tight to a lot of things and he couldn't bear to let them go. What are you attached to this morning that you can't bear to let go to follow Jesus? What are you holding on to so tightly? Is it a relationship and it's hindering you walking with him? Jesus says, follow me. Trust me for your relationships. You know, you young adults, trust him for your relationship. He won't let you down. He might send you a Paul like he did me. I can't do anything about that. But he won't let you down. Trust him. Don't let your relationships pull you away from Jesus. Is it ministry where you think, oh, I'm fed up with this. I believe God's calling me to this specific thing and there's just no opportunity. There's no way. Jesus says he'll make a way. What else are you holding on tight to? You're holding on tight to fear. Jesus says perfect love casts out all fear. Are you holding on tight to offence? You might be after my last point. Let go. Forgive. Jesus says come with me. Are you holding on tight to money and finance? To, to, to possessions? Jesus says that he will provide for us. Are you holding on tight to anger and hatred? Jesus says forgive and love. Are you holding on tight to sin and shame? Jesus forgave us at the cross. Let go. Are you holding on tight to your life for fear that you may lose it? Jesus says if you lose your life, that you will find it in him. Whatever you're attached to, whatever you are holding on to, and if it's stopping you from following Jesus, there is an answer to every single one in the Bible. There's an answer to every single one in him. And you know, sometimes we need help to get unattached from things. Sometimes we just can't go, oh, I'm just not going to be like that anymore. Every flick of switch, it doesn't work like that always. Sometimes we need help. I went to Hanley with the girls the other week. And I'd, I wanted to try a dress on and I'd got this blouse on with buttons and it was like got puffy sleeves and it got little tight buttons and wasn't really thinking and took the blouse off and I'd, it was just trapped on my arms and I was just trapped and I couldn't do anything because I pulled them both off at the same time. So I'd just got two hands and I was like, Grace! And Grace had to help me in the change room to get undressed. But I needed help. I couldn't do it on myself. The blouse was attached to me in a way that was not natural. And I needed help to get it off. And grace had to come and save me. And in the same way, there is grace for you to be saved from the things that are attached to you. There is grace in Jesus. You can borrow mine if you want. She's over there. But Jesus has got grace for you to unattach you to the things that are holding you on that are holding you back and that are stopping you from following Jesus. So what do we do to keep following him? 
I thought it would be good to go back to the disciples. We started with them. You know, and we can be quite judgmental of the disciples sometimes. We can think, oh, you know, they were fearful and they were this and they were that. But I don't know how well we actually understand them. You know, the disciples, the majority of them were teenagers. There was only a couple of them who were in the 20s. But the majority of them were teenagers. And we know this because of the professions that they had and also the fact that none of them were married. So Peter was probably the oldest one amongst them. We don't know for sure, but there are historical reasons that suggest, and if you want me to explain it to you more, I can. But the majority of the disciples were probably in the late teens. And yet we judge them and think, oh, I wouldn't do that. I'd have believed I'd have got out of the boat. You know, when you were 18, you couldn't even get out of bed. And these kids are following Jesus. You know, we've got to look at them. The culture that they were in, the peer pressure that there was to behave a certain way, to act a certain way, the Roman occupation. Has anyone ever lived under Roman occupation and know what it consisted of? It was horrendous. It was a scary place to be. And yet they continued to follow Jesus. Their social standing that most of them had, the majority of them, weren't educated. Matthew would have been, he was a tax collector. Paul would have been as he joined later on. But the majority of them, they weren't really well educated. They were in the family business. They were fishermen. They'd stopped going to school long ago. And yet we often judge them. You know, we see them while Jesus was on earth. They followed Jesus. Jesus gets arrested, they don't follow Jesus. <laughs> they run away naked. They hide. They, they deny him. They lock the doors and hope no one comes in. And then all of a sudden, Jesus is resurrected. The Holy Spirit comes and they follow Jesus again, even unto the death. So we find these teens who don't follow Jesus, who do follow Jesus, who follow Jesus, who don't really know what they're doing, a little bit all over the place. What's the difference? What happens? What changes? It's the resurrection power that the Holy Spirit brings that changes and transforms them beyond even their own recognition. And you can have that as well today. So when you struggle to follow Jesus, when you have days where you think, I can't do this anymore, when you have days where you think, I don't even say to my colleagues I've been to church at the weekend, when you are like, I followed him this day but I didn't follow him this day and I'm all over the place we need the resurrection power because it is that resurrection power that brings life it is that resurrection power that brings courage and it's that resurrection power that changes and transforms our lives to followers of Jesus even unto death and that might not be a physical death but it might be the death of our dreams or the death of things that are going on in our lives I've got four things that I believe made a difference for the disciples. And I'm going to conclude with these. The first one is this, proximity. When they were close to Jesus, when he was there with them, they followed him. When the Holy Spirit indwelled in them, that resurrection power, Christ in me, the hope of glory, that proximity changed and transformed them, allowed them to follow Jesus in a way that they'd never known or been able to do before. Hebrews 4.16 says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in times of need. 
When you're in times of need, you need proximity. When you're struggling to follow, you need proximity. You need to be by Jesus to help you to keep following when things go on in your life, to keep following when your husband or your wife leaves you, to keep following when a family member dies, to keep following when you lose your job and you lose all your money, to keep following when you can't pay your mortgage anymore, to keep following when your mental health's all over the place and you can't cope to keep following when you don't get that baby that you're dreaming and believing for, to keep following. It's about proximity. Get close to Jesus. Stay close to him. Learn to stand with Jesus and on his promises, no matter what. Proximity changed the disciples' lives. It can change ours too. The next thing is priorities. You know, the early church appointed people so that the apostles could be devoted to prayer. So when we see Stephen come into Acts, who was later, he was later the first martyr, he was somebody who was appointed so that Peter and John and James could spend time praying. They had the priorities right. They knew what they needed to do. They shared the load of what was going on. You know, at the minute we've started a new study in small groups, the, the ruthless elimination of hurry. Can I just say, though, be careful what you eliminate. Don't eliminate Jesus. Don't eliminate church. Don't eliminate your serving and your giving. Because it's about proximity. It's about having those things in your life that are a priority. What was a priority to those disciples? Spending time in prayer through the Holy Spirit with Jesus. And he calls us to do the same. Timothy Keller says this. Jesus says... I want you to follow me so fully, so intensely, so enduringly that all other attachments, remember that one, in your life look weak by, by comparison. All other attachments in your life look weak by comparison. What are your priorities? I remember when I had the girls and my priorities changed. I suddenly didn't really need much sleep. I didn't need to go to work. I didn't need to do many things because they became a priority. It's surprising how much time you've actually got on your hands, not really quite sure what I did with most of it before I had him, but they became a priority in my life. As you know, as we look through this small group study, what an amazing opportunity to consider. What do I need to eliminate? But what needs to be a priority too? The next one is this, perspective. And it's very similar to priority, but if you didn't get it last time, I'm hoping this one will let home. The disciples' perspective was changed. They suddenly had an eternal perspective. They suddenly had a bigger picture about what their life was for and the point of it. It allowed them to rejoice in their suffering. It allowed them to worship when they were in jail. It allowed them to go to their deaths and rejoice in it. Because their perspective had changed. Billy Graham said this. When we come to Christ, we're no longer the most important person in the world to us. I can read it again. I haven't even finished it. When we come to Christ, we're no longer the most important person in the world to us. Christ is. Instead of living only for ourselves, we have a higher goal to live for Jesus. And this is what the disciples discovered. They discovered a new perspective. You know, I like to paint. 
some of you follow me on social media may have, I don't know whether it's had the pleasure of seeing him or not, but <laughs> it depends whether it's a good day or not. But I remember when I used to work in school and we used to do painting with the kids. And I worked in a primary school, so they were only little. And we used to teach them perspective. <laughs> oh, my word. I mean, let's be honest, I aren't great at perspective myself. It's really hard. You have to get it right. It has to be right, otherwise it does just look rubbish. And you say, you've done a really good job with that. I, mean, you tried, I could see what you're trying to do there. But there were some, and they would just get it. There would be some kids, and they would just get it. And you'd look at it, and you'd think, wow, I couldn't do that well. And they could, they could just do it. They just had that ability with perspective. I believe God wants to give us that ability to have a different perspective. So our perspective is on Jesus, not on ourselves. Our perspective is on the good news and sharing that good news, and that that is more important. You know, when you do a dodgy painting with dodgy perspective, it looks dodgy to other people as well. And they don't really want to look at it. So in your Christian walk, let's have the right perspective. Because then we will be something that people want to look at. And they will think, wow, their life is so amazing. Look at that. What is going on there? I wish I could do that. And that is what calls people in to want to know more about Jesus. When we get our perspective as Christians right. So we've done proximity, we've done priorities, we've done perspective, and the last one is plenty. The disciples knew they had plenty. They actually hadn't really got anything on our standards, on what they wanted, on what they believed, on personal belongings. They probably had nothing. Yet they knew that they had plenty. And it was about a mindset, it wasn't about them anymore wasn't about the things that we think sum up a good life. It was about reaching a broken and a lost world and sharing the good news of Jesus. And we've got plenty of that. We've got plenty of good news to share around. We've got plenty of blessings to share around. We've got plenty of healing to be able to share around. If we only get our proximity and our priorities and our perspective right, then we will realize I've actually got plenty. So I don't mind sharing. I don't mind spending time with people. I don't mind giving of myself. I don't mind doing all these things because I've got plenty. Acts 2.45, they sold property and possessions to give to one another who had need. Sorry, to give to anyone who had need. They shared, they got plenty. They weren't bothered to keep it to themselves. They just wanted to share it out so everybody had got plenty. I've got plenty, let everybody have plenty. There's an abundance in Christ if we only get close enough to realize it and if we only change our perspective enough to see it. Jackie Pullinger, in 1966, brought the cheapest ticket she could, got on a boat and said to God, tell me which stop to get off at. She got off in Hong Kong and she made a, ho a home in what was then the walled city. It was full of prostitutes, drug addicts and gang members. But she knew, although she had nothing, because she brought the cheapest ticket she could find. She'd got plenty to give and to share 
And she saw miracles in that place. If you've never read her story, can I encourage you? Her name is Jackie Pullinger. She had her life and she gave her life to that place. She had time and she gave her time to that place. And she had energy and she threw energy into that place. And sometimes I think we need to have a change of heart. We need to learn to be generous. And we need to realise we have plenty. If the band want to join me, I want to read you a quote by Jackie Pullinger. It says this. God wants us to have soft hearts and hard feet. The trouble with so many of us is that we have hard hearts and soft feet. God's calling us to go with the energy that we've got, with the time that we've got, with the money that we've got, with everything that we've got, with the life that we've got, and share the good news of Jesus. That we soften our hearts, that we're no longer restricted by the things that are attached to us and hold us down. But instead, we follow Jesus to the places that he goes that we may think, I don't actually want to go there. I don't want to associate with those people. But if Jesus is there, then that's where I want to be. This morning, I want to encourage you. Spend some time this next week. Spend some time in your small groups and consider what are the things that aren't helpful to me as I follow Jesus? And what things can I put into my life that will help me follow him more closely and more dearly? I'm believing this morning that God wants to break the lies over your life, that he wants to break the chains that have held you down, that have stopped you from following Jesus. And he wants to take you on a journey of growing in proximity, of sorting out our priorities, of sorting out our perspective, and of realising that actually we've got plenty. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you have called each of us to follow you. I thank you, God, that you've not left us where we are. I thank you, God, that even though at times we may have felt like we don't belong, that with you, there is a place of belonging. God, and I pray that those things that have held us back, those attachments that maybe we've had that have stopped us to walk in a closer walk with you, that this morning they would break from our lives, that we would see release, that we would see breakthrough, and that we would see you in a new and in a fresh way. I just want to ask you this morning, if there's something I've said that's really spoken to you and you want God to do a, a deep work in your life, just stand up. Because I just want to pray for you specifically. If you believe you want some things breaking off your life, then stand up. If you want to follow Jesus more closely than you have and things have got in the way, then stand up. I believe Jesus is calling us this morning. He's calling us to follow him. And there are so many things that can get in the way. Holy Spirit, I thank you this morning for people's willing hearts. God, I thank you for those who have stood. And I just pray that by your Spirit, that you would move in power in their lives. By your Spirit, that you would would break the things that have held them. But God, you would also give them the courage to follow you in a new and in a fresh way. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come and move in power this morning. Come on, let's all stand. Holy Spirit, we just welcome you today. We ask that you would help us to follow you more closely. We ask that you would help us to break away those disagreements, those beliefs, those things that have stopped us. 
We ask that you would, you would move in power in a new and in a fresh way in our lives. That we would be refreshed, that we would be restored. That you would give us new faith and new hope to follow you in this next season. In Jesus' name, amen.